thank you for joining us on the CFF podcast. Today, Pastor Pablo Martinez will be inspiring you with a message from the Word of God. We hope you enjoy and welcome home. Young people, I mean, like, um, uh, Eoni and I, as pastors, we've been here less than three years uh, on full time. And um, to, the, to us, this is not a job. This is our passion. It's our lifestyle. It's our dream. It's our family. Uh, it's our fun. It's our, it's our, it's our, honestly, it's our life. We love, love doing life with you guys. It's not about religion. It's not about church. It's about choosing which life you will live. This is not the church. The building is not the church. You are the church. We are the church. People are the church. The church is not made up of amazing uh, buildings, at least not yet. One day we will have that, but that's not who we'll be. Uh, this church is not made of great programs, although we want to have better programs, of course. Uh, it's not made up of, you know, just this well-oiled machine. This church is made of a bunch of broken people that the Lord has brought together and has saved, He has renewed, and He's restoring. Amen? This church, go ahead, give God a shout of praise, why not? This church is really, is really, really... Uh, a depiction of what happened in the scriptures. I want to read to you something from the Bible, and I think it's one of the coolest things um, that you will ever find. You will ever read one of the greatest stories because it is your story. It is my story. It is, just happens to be uh, a woman, uh, a woman who, who was really, really thirsty. And it was the middle of the day, and she wanted to get some water. And she went out to get water because uh, in the middle of the day because it was so hot. And she knew nobody else would be out there. This is a woman who had a horrible, horrible reputation. It's a woman who had a, a bunch of men. And I'm going to get into some details of the story. I won't read it to you, the whole thing, uh, just enough so we can grab it. But you may say, you may find yourself, as, as, as this sermon develops, you may find yourself asking, um, asking yourself the question, why or how does this relate to my life? Why am I not at the club tonight? You know, why am I not partying? Why am I sitting here instead of doing so many other things? And I pray that at the end of this, you will come to at least one simple conclusion. And that is that a God who loves you so much paid an incredible price for you. Not to make you religious, but to save you and to set you free. The Bible is an incredible, incredible book. But the greatest thing about the Bible is that it teaches us Three beautiful principles. It teaches us that the gospel redeems us, that the gospel renews us, and the gospel restores us. We know that this has to have a context. We cannot just have this renewal, redemption, restoration without an environment. We have a community. The Bible speaks of community. We know that this has to have uh, a cause. It cannot just have, oh, you know, I'm saved and I'm happy and let the world go to hell. Well, I'm super happy. Today we're here and I want to share with you the first of the three R's that we're going to be covering in the next three weeks. The first one is redemption. The next one is renewal. And then the next one is restoration. I don't want to get so boring. I, and we have a board there. And I was actually going to start writing stuff. But I decided, you, uh, you want it? You want me to? I could if you want. You guys... Fine, I'll write stuff on the board. I'll even do like, well, I don't have markers. But anyway, um, you know, honestly, when I start writing and I do like props and stuff, I get really confusing. Um, I think I'm like not confusing, but then I get even more confusing. So let's try it. 
Hi, Louis. Come on up here. Maybe you could write it for me because you write much better. You're Asian, so you are good at this stuff. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. All right, here we go. So open, uh, loosen those up, please, for a second. We're going to go a little higher. Oh, can you guys see okay there? Yeah, just leave it there. Sorry, sorry. Okay, so go ahead and write uh, uh, RRR, and then right here, just write redemption. Thank you, thank you. Um, as Louis writes this, by the way, Louis is getting married soon. Sorry, girls. If you don't know, he's already off the market. He's been spoken for. Um, so when is your wedding? April 14th. Not everybody's invited, right? Okay, good, good. Man, weddings are expensive, bro. Like, big redemption, big R, big redemption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Redemption. Now, um, how much is it roughly a plate, just so the guys get an idea? Fifty, fifty dollars All right. Um, yeah. If somebody really wants to go, can they pay for their own plate? No. Okay. Oh, just wondering. <laughs> okay. All right. Then, Redemp. You can tell Louis was never a tagger, huh? Look at that. Redemp. Redemp. Redeemed. Okay. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. No, no. That won't work. Oh, snap, that was a Sharpie, dude. Is that like a bad one? Oh, no, it's a good one. This doesn't erase, man. All right, well, see what I'm saying? Okay, let's just, let's just scratch the whole thing. Redemption down here in black. Here we go. Let's try that again. Go, go, do it. You got this, Lou? Yeah, 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 you're good. You're left-handed. That's awesome, man. That means you're smart. Uh, redem Any other left-handed people up here? Wow, really? My wife does... My, oh, anyway, so redemption. Yeah. All right, give Louis a mighty round of applause for, per, for permanently destroying the... I'm just kidding. All right, so the first R is redemption, all right? We have to remember that um, if, we, if we say we are of Christ, if we say we accepted Christ in our lives, we have to know exactly what that means. You know, um, I know exactly what it means to be married, you know, I don't have to, uh, you know, fumble around. I know what it means to give my life to someone. I know what it means to be in covenant. Um, you have to be so sure of what redemption means. And today you're just going to learn something so beautiful about redemption uh, that I don't think you knew before. Maybe you did if you're a, a theologian and stuff. But the Bible is, how about we close our eyes? Let's just get through this. All right, dear God, thank you so much for your love, for your grace. I ask you that you forgive anyone in here, Lord. That got here late. I'm just playing. Uh, Lord, I ask you that you please just help us, Lord, to really focus. Help us, God, to, to open up our hearts and our minds that you would speak to us. Would you just touch our intellect, our emotions, and our will? God, thank you because I know that you want to do something great tonight. I pray, God, that it would be you speaking and not me. Thank you because of the work that you're doing in our lives and through our lives. We pray, God, that as this church grows to multitudes, as people in this place... Begin to pastor other people in their own homes, in their workplace, everywhere they go. I pray, God, that we would never do it just because other people are doing it or because it's part of the religion. Lord God, that we would do things understanding and willingly, not only that, enjoying every part of that. Thank you, Lord, because you never asked of us to be religious. You asked of us to have a relationship with you. And we want to do just that better every single day. In your name we pray. Amen. Redemption. The Bible doesn't cover up horrible things of the family. The Bible doesn't cover up the bad parts of the people of God. The Bible is so real, it's so genuine that the skeletons of the closet are out in the open. Have you guys ever heard of that? The uh, skeletons in the closet? Oh, that person must have some really 
a bunch of skeletons in the closet. What does it mean to have skeletons in the closet? Secrets, right? Like, um, Ezekiel, what are some of your secrets? <laughs> skeletons. Is there a girl that you like in this place? You should see how You've never seen a brown man get that red. Look at this guy. Uh, do you like someone in this? No, I'm just kidding. Okay, no, no. Okay, I was going to say, can you tell us one of the skeletons in the closet? Uh, you know, we have, to, we have to know. You know, uh, we don't have to know everything about everybody. But there are some things in your life, some things in my life, that we wouldn't want anyone to know. Now, if I could be very, very honest with you, I won't be. If I could be very, very honest with you, there's things that you should never know about me. You're saying, oh, okay, call. what about this whole transparency thing? No, no, no. Now, my wife knows everything about me. Select people will know everything about me. Let me ask you, why do you think not everyone should know everything about you? Yes, Jared. Thank you. Awesome. Some people just don't know how to handle it, right? They won't do the right thing with the information that you give them. Does that make sense? So this information is super powerful, right? It is the, sometimes it is access to you, to your heart, to your intimate, the intimate areas of your life, the, the painful areas, the, the areas that no one else knows. And so what we do in life, we try to, you know, put locks all around our heart and we, we, we have these secrets. Now the crazy thing about those secrets is that they're never truly fully secrets. They're always revealed in one way or another. Let me give you one simple example. If you uh, grew up in an abusive home, you may say, it's my secret. Nobody knows. My dad was this, my dad, that, that. My mom, you know, was, was nuts. My, my, you know, nobody knows anything about my family. But you and I many times are an outcome. And I say many times because God can redeem. But we are outcomes many times of or a byproduct of our nurture. You know, you know that you go to school, right? Nature versus nurture. The truth is this, is that we can't truly fully hide. Some of you are trying to hide in plain sight and it doesn't work. Your anger comes out when you least expect it. Your selfishness flourishes when you don't think you're being selfish. And yet people know it. I, we say it all the time, right? That, you know, selfishness or pride, which both are pretty close together, they're like bad breath. Nobody knows it. I mean, everybody knows it except you, right? You're the last person to find out that you're being all prideful, you're being selfish, you're, you're, you're just this way. Sometimes everything seems perfect until a song comes on. And then all of a sudden something comes out of you. like, <laughs> or, or everything's great until someone says something. And you're like, whoa, whoa, I didn't even mean anything like that, man. Out of the dumbest things, we make the biggest problems. Right? Sometimes we are there and everything should be great. And the greatest times of our lives, we're making money, we're happy. But inside, there's still a huge gap, a huge void. This fear, this pit in the middle of your stomach. It's a fear of being discovered. A fear of knowing, if people knew me, will they still want to be with me? Now, I know I don't want to get all like encounter on you tonight. All I just, I'm just trying to tell you guys, seriously, every single one of us in here have skeletons in the closet. Now, if you don't have skeletons in your closet, it's probably because you're the, the TMI kind of people, that too much information kind of people. And you're like, whoa, bro, I just met you. I don't want to know, you know, what kind of medicine you have to apply. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, there's so many things, so many things in this room that if we were to just say, hey, this is who I am. Let me plug in this, this cable to me and let's project it on the screen. So let's start showing everybody all my skeletons. Most of us would run out. It would be like, you know what? This is, this is not right. 
There's this woman uh, in the Bible, and the Bible doesn't cover her sin up. To the contrary, it brings it up. In the Bible, God makes no effort to pretend like everybody's good and everything's perfect. And once you come to God, everything's going to be okay. Let me show you something really cool. Adam and Eve, they broke one rule. They tried to hide, and they blamed, and they lied. Adam and Eve sinned. Cain and Abel, one killed the other. Moses, one of the greatest leaders of all time, he had anger issues. Oh, by the way, he murdered someone. Rahab hides the Israelite spies because, you know, she believes they're really good. But the Bible also says, and doesn't hide it, that she's a prostitute. By the way, Jesus comes from that lineage. David, full of pride, pornography, adultery, murder, multiple wives. Jonah, selfish, fearful. Samson, sexual addictions. Sarah, Tells her husband to go and sleep with another woman. What? There's some skeletons in that closet, right? Because she couldn't wait on God's promise. Abraham, he does what Sarah says. Come on now. Right? Men are like, what you told me? Really, Abe? Abe, come on. Gideon, he leads a nation into, into idolatry or an idol worship. Now, this is a great deliverer, right? Jacob, he extorts his older brother. Judah. Now, by the way, Jacob's older brother gave him whatever he exhorted him for, and it happened to be the birthright over a plate of beans or lentils. Judah, the tribe that Christ comes from, he gets his daughter-in-law pregnant. His daughter-in-law pregnant, and his excuse was, I thought she was a prostitute. What? Tamar, Tamar the girl dressed like a prostitute that tricked her father-in-law into sleeping with him. So, this is like a Mexican novella. Dude, this is crazy. Solomon, the wisest man in the Bible, writes great proverbs like, guard your heart above all else. Proverbs, Proverbs what? 423. Some of you guys are actually doing it. Good, good. Right? Uh, by the way, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. So that's about 1,000 mother-in-laws. No wonder he went crazy, right? Fast forward, and Peter now, New Testament, Peter, who said he was willing to die for Jesus, denies him three times, and at the third time, he just starts cussing up a storm. Literally, that's what the Bible says. That he started just cursing and saying all kinds of nasty words to so that people would say, oh, wait, never mind, you don't talk like the people of Jesus. So some of you that say, oh, bad words are not bad, talk to Peter about it, right? Um, Thomas, he doubts that Jesus could actually resurrect from the dead, even though he had walked with Jesus for three and a half years. I'm going to keep on going just a little bit more. Uh, actually, no, I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to just tell you the story of this one woman. She was in John chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. And then I'm going to actually get going. I'm going to preach a little bit if you don't mind. Is that okay? Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judah and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Where did he have to go through? Actually, he didn't have to go anywhere. He was Jesus. But he had to go through Samaria. Like something about it just made him go through Samaria. Jesus never has to do jack for anyone. He's God. But he had to do it for a reason. There was a reason that he had to go through Samaria. You see, Jews were known to go all the way around Samaria if they had to get to the other side. Because Samaria was like the ugly part of town. Samaria was filled with this kind of people called the Yes, they're so smart, right? The Samaritans, right? And Samaritans did not get along with Jews at all. As a matter of fact, they would not speak 
to each other. If I saw you, you were a Samaritan, and if I was a Jewish person, we would just turn around and walk away. But Jesus had to go through Samaria. Listen to this. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. What time was it? Noon is the hottest time of the day. It's his desertous land. You could imagine it. And so he is just chilling by this well. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. By the way, I'm a woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Because men and women would not speak. Like nowadays, many parts of the Middle East, a single man and a single woman would not be caught speaking, especially without anybody else around. Women could actually be stoned for these reasons. And so she tells him, like, wait, I'm a Samaritan and I'm a woman. Why are you talking to me? The Samaritan woman, and then go verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God... And who is this that asks you for a drink? You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Keep going a little more. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Talking about giving me water. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? She's Quoting some Bible right here, you know. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. It's got nothing on me. But whoever drinks the water I give them, I will never, how often? What? Never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come over here, keep coming back to draw water. I love this part because this is where Jesus really starts just laying it down and laying it thick. It says, he told her, go call your husband and come on back. And the woman said, I have no husband. And she replied, right? Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you got no husband, right? He's like, you don't have a husband. That's right. He said, in fact, you have five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true, she said. Now, check this out. This woman's response, right? This woman's response is like, I absolutely love it. It's like, mm, um, uh, sir, uh, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors whispered, or you got Facebook. I can see that ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where you must worship is Jerusalem. Blah, 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 blah. This woman starts getting all religious on Jesus. Right? Jesus just confronted her with some of the skeletons in her closet, and this woman starts talking about religion. Like, oh yeah, well, there's this hill and we're supposed to worship there, but you guys said we're supposed to worship here. And Jesus is like, what? I'm not even talking about that. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody like, you know, you're trying to take it somewhere and they all of a sudden start talking all about religion and, oh yeah, yeah, I'm already there. Or, like, you're trying to share Jesus with somebody and they're like, oh yeah, I go to church. You're like, who cares? That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. Okay, most conversations would right now end in our lives and be like, oh great, well, you already are saved. You already love Jesus. Praise God fist bump. Where do you go? Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus is like, I'm not talking about religion. Let me see what the way Jesus responds. And I absolutely love this because Jesus is this kind of incredible, passionate friend who loves you too much to stay the same. He, he sees this woman and he's like, ah, 
Let's go back and let's talk again about this. Verse 4, 21. Woman, Jesus replied, 21. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship here, blah, 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 23. Yet a time is coming and now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are a kind of worshipers for the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and truth. I absolutely love it. 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything again. Then Jesus replied, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am Messiah. So you're trying to talk to him about all this religion. I don't want to talk about religion. Let me tell you about myself. This is what Jesus does. And this is what he wants to do with you today. When we talk about the word redemption, it sounds religious. It already sounds like, okay, yeah, you, you lost me. Let me tell you a simple story to explain or begin to explain what redemption is and why in the world should you care about being redeemed, about other people being redeemed, your friends, your family, people around us. We don't necessarily try to get people to come to this church. There are so many amazing places out there. But why do we want people to come to this place? Because in this place they find something so beautiful. They find the God who loves them, a God who redeems them, a God who renews them, and a God who restores them. Not only that, they find a community of people who actually care, not just about, hey, how you doing? Great. See you next Sunday. But you actually begin to pray for people. You begin to love people. You care enough to ask. And not just to ask, but you care enough to stay and listen. And not just to stay and listen, but to go back and pray for them. And not only that, come back and ask again, how did that thing go? Did you, are you still hurting with that? Is your marriage getting any better? No? Let me show you the one who can give you the water that will leave you no thirst. See, this is what redemption is. There's this man, and I remember, I remember so, uh, so, so clearly, you know, I was reading stories. I love to read stories and articles. If you guys know me, I have like tons of them. Like I have just pages and pages of, of cool stories and articles. I just like hearing these things. But there was this one time that I read uh, of a man named, uh, I wrote his name down here. He was a doctor. His name is Leo, doctor from Chicago. Um, Leo, we'll just call him Dr. Leo, right? That sounds like a good show. I'll give you his full name and the full story where you can find it too. This man, um, should I look it up or am I just going to waste time doing that? Leo Winters, it was around 1 a.m. and Leo Winters got woken up rudely. And they, they just, this, this call said, you need to come into the hospital now. There's this young kid, he's dying uh, and, and we need you now. So Leo gets in his car, it was 1 a.m., and he, was, uh, he went through this horrible part of town, and he would have gone around, but it was, there was no time, and so he's going through this rough neighborhood. This is a true story. This man, on one of the stoplights, he's in this gray, gray hat and, you know, this flannel shirt, uh, rips him out of his car and, and, and literally just, like, takes him out, and the man's trying to explain to him where he's going, why he needs his car, and the guy just takes off. Leo Winters was needed at the hospital. This kid, he was dying. And so he calls a cab. He's waiting for the cab. He, you know, he finds himself a cab ride. didn't want to do it and take him. But eventually he makes it to the hospital about an hour later. Check this out. He gets there, and by the time he arrives, the nurse tells him, if you'd have been half an hour here earlier, perhaps we could have saved the boy, but the boy is already dead. And so the man was so concerned and so worried, you know, and he was feeling horrible. He said, where's the father? I need to talk to him. He goes to the, she's like, he's in the prayer chapel. And so he goes to look for this man in the prayer chapel, and he finds kneeling at the altar this man with a flannel on this gray hat. What had happened is this man had pushed out of his life 
the one hope for his child. Many times we do exactly that. God is trying to love you. He's trying to save you. He's trying to do so many amazing things with you. And you seriously push him out of your life. The one hope of redemption. And you say, forget it. I don't need you in my life. And it's crazy to me because as I read stories like this, I don't think of them as just stories. I think of the times when I push God out of my life because I'm so freaking busy. Does that make sense? Because, hey, I don't have time for this. I got to go to work. I don't have time for this. I don't have time to seek God. I got to go have some enjoyment. And the Lord is like, I'm trying to save you. I'm trying to redeem you. Redemption is something so beautiful. Redemption literally means to buy back, to purchase. So many people are on spiritual parole. Listen to what I'm telling you. If you want to entitle this message, it's called spiritual parole. And so I began to look up the difference between probation and parole. Anybody knows? Some of you guys are like too much experience. I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. Some of you guys may know. You, any of you guys work in a law office? Okay, what's the, oh, you, but you know the difference. What's the difference between probation and parole, Jay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, perfect. So um, they're both instead of spending time in jail, right? But all this is conditional. It's depending upon or pending upon good behavior. Yes or no, right? Some of you guys, have you checked out yet? Are you here? Yeah? Okay, so this is what spiritual parole is. Some people, they're good with God, and they think they're good with God. And yeah, I'm going to heaven. Everything's good. He's my buddy. Jesus my buddy. And then all of a sudden, they do something bad, and they feel, and they think, I'm going to hell. Like this, this, I'm, I'm, I don't even want to go back to church, man. I'm so dirty. I'm so filthy. Me, being a leader, me, like help people, me, do the Great Commission. Heck no. I'm on spiritual parole. And I just violated it. I'm back in the hole. So many Christians live on spiritual parole because they never understood the concept of redemption. Jesus, when he redeems you, he sets you free. And the Bible says that those that are in Christ are free. And whatever the Son has set free is free indeed. That's what the Bible says. And so many people, so many even Christians, they live this. And I'm sorry to say this, but many times we come from Catholic backgrounds like my mom who used to be a nun. And it's very much like judgmental mindset. Like, if you're not walking this straight path, then you're, it's over. It's over for you. You have no reason to come to God anymore. And there's, there could be nothing further from the truth. Now, I'm not talking about cheap grace, which is something I'll get into. What I am talking about is a simple understanding that your freedom is not dependent upon your good behavior, but dependent upon His grace and His mercy. What a big difference that is. The church is not a place where you go and get good. It's not that. Church is you. You are the church. Does that make sense? You come here and I come here because he's worthy of my time, my praise, my service, my attention, my worship. Does that make sense? We are not any better than the struggling Christian before the eyes of God. We are not any better than someone who just jacked everything up and you just came out of your cell group. There's no difference at all. The only difference is this. You got it. You understood it. The other person didn't. The other person hasn't yet gone through this process of restoration and renewal. But redemption happens through the grace of Jesus Christ. Now here's the crazy thing about redemption. And this is another true story. And this is the hardest part for me to even teach when it comes down to redemption. I need you to get this. If you don't. You might as well not even come back to church. I mean this. And I sound really rude right now, but I cannot be any less. If you don't get this concept, what I'm about to explain to you, then church means nothing. Absolutely nothing. This is a true story. It happened. 
This man committed murder. His last name was Wilson. If, uh, his name is actually George Wilson. Hard to forget. 1829, true story. 1829, George Wilson commits murder and is sentenced to the life. To life in prison. No, he's sentenced to life. What do you call that? Death row? To life? Yeah? No. No, sentence life is forever, like in prison. To death row, death penalty, thank you. So he's sentenced to the death penalty. George Wilson is about to die, and his entire family begins to, uh, to, to appeal and appeal and appeal. Eventually, this appeal makes it all the way to the Supreme Court. Not only that, it goes beyond that. Mr. Andrew Jackson, the President of the United States of America, hears of this story. Because Andrew Jackson knew the family. It was a well-known family, a family of, of great deeds. It's a true story. Look it up. I love it. It's, it's uh, 1829. This man gets the presidential pardon. You know what that means? That no matter what you did, you are free to go. Like, it's like you never, ever did it. In the first time in the history of the United States, George Wilson decides to do something. I don't want this pardon. He refused the pardon. He said, you know what? I am guilty. I committed murder and I deserve to die. Now the United States entered this huge legal battle because the guards tried to take this guy out of jail and he refused to leave his prison. He said, I am staying here and I will go through the death penalty. And so this legal battle began never in the history of the nation had that happened where a guilty person gets forgiven and they say, no, I'm going to die. I'm going to pay for my sins. And so the, the battle got crazy and eventually made it to the Chief Justice John Marshall. And when he said this, the Supreme, uh, the Supreme Court, the Chief Justice said this in, in the courts and it's in, the, in public record. And as I read it to you, I want you to understand exactly what I'm talking about. He says, a pardon is of no effect until it is accepted by the one who is intended for Though it is almost inconceivable that a condemned criminal would refuse a pardon, if he does refuse it, then the pardon has no effect. This is what our courts, what our Supreme Court has determined. From there on after, that became law. I'm going to tell you this, that became the understanding more than the law. It's, 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 it's like, okay, if I don't receive the pardon, then I'm going to die. Should you one day find yourself facing hell, may you never say, I never heard, this is not fair. Because if you are the one who rejects the pardon, and God is the one who pays for it, and God is the one who offers it, then he's no longer the guilty one, the bad one, the bad God who didn't do anything. I don't know 100% who is going to heaven. But I do know if you don't have Jesus, you will go to hell. Now that sounds so harsh and condemning, doesn't it? Until you understand that the pardon has been paid. That freedom belongs to you now. Right here, no matter what you did, no matter what you've done, no matter what's done to you. It doesn't matter. It is yours should you decide to take it. Now, the ball is on your court. It is no longer about God being good enough or not good enough. It's about you understanding that something great has been offered to you. Should you choose to accept it, you then have that freedom. The freedom from the consequences of great sin. Why am I talking to you like this? Because one day I will be responsible for whatever was said tonight and Friday night in this place. I will be able to stand before God and I will be a witness to him. And I will say, yes, Lord, I preach to them exactly about the one thing 
that can give them eternal life. I don't care about religion. Now you can start talking about, well, what about Mormons? What about No, I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about places of worship. I'm not talking about church. Well, Salvadorians do it like this. Mexicans do it like that. Asians do it like this. Black people. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter the language you're speaking. If you can understand my words, I have to tell you this. Jesus Christ said the following words. I am the only way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. Now, should you think that there are still so many other ways? Let me bring you back to what redemption means. Redemption means somebody had enough in his pocket to pay the price for your condemnation. Meaning, the sin that you committed had to be paid somehow, some way. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. That is the payment of sin. How much do you get paid an hour? I'm just going to... I'm just playing. No, the, wa- <laughs> the wages of sin, your payment for sin is death. The currency, let's just say it in other words, the currency of this world, of course, we may know, maybe gold or Bitcoin for some of you. The currency of heaven is blood. It's how you pay. Now when you say, well, pastor, okay, now you're getting crazy. I, this, this, this Christians are all sand, you know, like bloody and stuff. This is where, you, where I check out of this church. You could do just that. But let me explain to you why blood is so important. Let me explain to you with just another story because you know me. I love stories. <laughs> There's this, uh, it, this, this it's actually, I love it. In 1927 in West Africa, a blood specimen was taken from this native. His name was Asibi. What was his name? From West Africa. I don't know if you know what yellow fever is, but you probably don't know or never experienced yellow fever because of Asibi. Or Wasibi, what was his name? Asibi. Asibi was this, this, this native in, in this faraway land, and they took this blood sample out of him. This company developed something called a vaccine out of that blood. Rockefeller and this huge industries developed a vaccine for the world. Not for one nation, but for the world. The world would have perished, perhaps a great part of it at least, from yellow fever. It's called a what? A what? It's now malaria, right? But it's more than that. It's, it's called an, an epidemic or an epidemic disease. Entire parts of countries were getting wiped out by this yellow fever. But the blood of one man, listen to this, blood of one man, some guy that you don't even know, named Asibi, in West Africa, was made available for anyone to be spared from this life-wiping disease. The blood of this man provided us with some great, incredible salvation. The blood of Jesus is also made available. And the vaccine is from the worst kind of disease. It's a disease that doesn't only affect you, but it's so contagious, it affects anyone that you could influence. That disease is so horrible that it goes, it's not only transmitted through sound, it's transmitted through sight, it's transmitted through simple contact. That disease of sin, the worst part about it is that it doesn't just kill you here, it kills you forever. And all eternity is called spiritual death. And the only true definition of spiritual death is separation from God. This is what happened with Adam and Eve. They sinned. And I don't care what the sin was. You shouldn't care either what the sin is of your person, the person that is next to you. The only true answer is this. Have you been vaccinated? Have you received the blood of the lamb? Have you actually had clearance from the doctor for all eternity? When I understand what redemption truly is about, 
I have no other excuses. I cannot talk about, well, I don't know enough, pastor. I don't, well, I, I need to know. I don't need to know anything else. All I need to know is that I know I'm a sinner. And I know at some point someone's going to have to pay for it. And if you think that's not the way life goes, you haven't lived in this world long enough. But everything in this world gets paid. Everything in this world gets paid. They say two things, right? Is death and taxes. Sure. Well, the first one has greater consequences than taxes. And I know, you guys, if you still don't yet quite get why redemption is important, it's because you and I have sinned and someone had to pay for it. And when that person pays for it, when the Bible uses redemption, it uses it in the context of slavery. That someone is a slave to sin. You are now being enslaved by your sin and the debt left behind. And that sin, that payment must be made. I know that sometimes we feel like just because I forgot it, it's no longer there. But just because you forget it, it doesn't mean it goes away. You can ignore the calls of the credit card companies, but eventually they'll come back around. Yes or no? Some of you guys that know business all really well, you're, well, what about the seven-year, you know? Okay, we'll talk about that a little bit later. What I do want to tell you is something just so, so simple. Who paid for your sin? No one else can pay. Absolutely no one. You know why? Because no one's pockets are deep enough. No one has the ability to pay for that. I like using OfferUp. Any other OfferUppers? All right, cool, cool. I love OfferUp. Do you know why I love OfferUp? Because I don't feel like I'm getting ripped off. Like, I determine the price I'm going to pay for something. Unless somebody else is willing to pay a higher price. I'm like, dang, you messed it all up. For example, I'm looking for a pool table from a man cave, right? How much is a brand new pool table? Anybody know a nice one that says ESPN on the side? Huh? 800 minimum for a nice one. Minimum for a nice. I'm not talking about like the cheap ones that you bump and the balls move. I'm talking about a nice sturdy one. Minimum 850 bucks plus tax. So that's a new table. So I'm looking through OfferUp. And you know how much I'm willing to pay for a, full, for a pool table? $40. I will not pay more than 40 bucks for a pool table. I won't. And I'm telling you, if I get a pool table, you'll know it's a $40 pool table. Because I'm not paying more than 40 bucks for a pool table. Do you know why I'm not paying more than 40 bucks for a pool table? Because garages are full of pool tables that are not being used. Because people are like, I don't want this pool table. Somebody get it out of here. I found one for free in Azusa. It's a nice one. By the way, don't go. This is mine. I'm just saying, you can have it. You know, there are tons of them out there. People are just trying to clear up space in the garage because the father or the husband or the son, they thought they were going to be like professional pool players. They even brought the little glove with the two fingers thing. And it's nowhere to be seen if you know what I'm talking about. Anybody bought the Bowflex? The ab roller? No? Yeah, right. Am I too old? Infomercial? No? Nothing? Okay, I'll just bring it next time. But these garages are full of those. People don't want them around anymore. Now people want them until you realize you don't have time for them, right? Here's the cool thing about this. It hit me like a ton of bricks. I was praying for this message and I realized something. I was like, wow. Listen, a price of something is determined by the desirability, right? How much something is desired. For example, a diamond. Uh, Nat, you have Nat, Natalie, Natalie. Can I just borrow your ring real quick? By the way, Natalie is Louis' uh, future wife-to-be. Are you sure you're going to trust me with your diamond? All right. <clears throat> um, I went with Louis to buy this diamond, by the way. Some of you guys, all right, all right. Some of the men, the cheapos, are like, put it away, pastor, put it away. <laughs> Setting the bar too high, put it away. It's okay to, to invest. It's a good investment. Um, now, this diamond is not a cheap rock. But why is it worth 
what is worth the thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Why? What if nobody would be willing to pay for it? What if only one person wanted it? Then who determines the price? That person. Think about your life for just a second. Just for a second. What is your life worth? If Jesus was willing to pay his entire life for it, the Father looked at you and said, you are worth the life of my son, my only beloved son. I have a boy. His name is Josiah. You might have seen him. He's got crazy hair. He's somewhere back there, and he's nuts. I love, thank you so much. I love, <laughs> I absolutely love that kid. I love my boy. And as much as I love that kid, I mean, as much as I love you guys, I would never trade my son for any of you fools. I'm not Jesus. I didn't die for you. It's true. I'm sorry. I, would love, I have this love, but it's my boy. Matter of fact, I wouldn't trade it for all of you. I know. I'm sorry. It's true. If I did say that, you'd probably be like, you're a bad father. True or not? But he loved you so much. So much that if it was just you, he said, let me offer up payment to the highest bidder. And the enemy said, uh-uh, payment's too high. Someone has to die. Not just anyone. Somebody who has not committed sin. Do you know why? Because a person full of debt can't get you out of debt. They don't have the resources. Especially not if your debt is greater than their all-around achievable resources. And so Jesus says, I can pay for it. And the father probably said, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. There's got to be another way. Jesus says, no, Papa, I'm the only one. The Bible says that he's the only one that knew no sin, that all have sinned, every one of us. We all fall short of the glory of God. But there's only one guy who could pay for that redemption. And he came and he offered up his life literally for you. And he said, you are worth this. And the father, as he looked at his son and he looked at you and he said, yeah, let's raise the price on this man. When the world says you're garbage, you're dirt, you're just an addict, man. You're just, a, you're just a lying scumbag. You're a dog. When the world says to you, man, you are just nothing. You are just your money, man. You are 45 bucks an hour, man. You're 60 bucks an hour. That's all you are. And God says, nah, you're worth way more than that. You're worth the life of Jesus Christ, the crucified son of God. The child of God. Now, do you understand why redemption is so important? Because redemption doesn't just save you from your sin. It increases your daily value. It increases your stock. Who you are, because you've been paid for by Jesus, not just anyone can play with you. Not just anyone can mess with you. Women, listen to me for just a second. If you knew how redeemed you were, whoo, you would save your heart every day. You would know that not just anyone deserves you. Now, not because you're better than them, because you've been paid by a great price. Does that make sense? Because you know what? Unless you know the price of redemption, you're not worthy of me giving you my life. Unless you yourself have got that, then you will never value me. Do you know why? Because when I understand, I see my child, I see my wife, I don't just see them and I tell you this not because I'm religious, but because I am such a broken man who God has saved, redeemed, renewed, and restored. The only reason why I look at them and they can look at me is not because we're better. It's simply because we see the God in them. We see the, oh man, we see the workmanship of Christ. We say, you are worth one crucified Jesus. I understand today one of the greatest truths of all in my life. 
I am not in spiritual parole. I have been paid for. I am set free. And there's nothing I can do that can get me to, for God to love me more or give me more of him or less. Next week, we're going to talk about renewal and why renewal is important and why redemption is important. But first things first, you have to know that Jesus paid the greatest price for you. You're worth one crucified Christ. You're worth so much. He loves you so much. He saw you. He desired you so much that he said, I don't care what the payment is. How much is it? A million? No, much more than that. Much more than that. A billion? Absolutely not. Much more than that. You know that the Lord, listen to this just for, so you can grab it. When I was praying, I was like, dang, Lord, this is awesome. The Bible says that the Lord owns the world and everything in it. Listen, he is the owner of the world and all that is in it. All things are made for him and by him. The Lord holds the world in his hands. He's got the whole. God literally owns it all. And yet that all was not enough to pay for your redemption. And so he took it up a whole nother notch. And when the Lord says, what do I do here? Jesus says, we don't need a loan, Dad. I'm right here. The highest price anyone could have ever paid is the greatest love of their life. My greatest possession is the greatest love of my life. Now, I can give off other things, but there's some things, like I told you, I'm not willing to give because that's just too precious. I'll give you the cars. I'll give you everything else. If I need to, I'll give you everything else. I'm going to bring it down, and we're going to finish with something simple. There's this, uh, man, there's this, uh, this, this story that happened in our church. One of the guys, one of our, our, our disciples, one of the guys was, uh, got a phone call um, that his mother had been kidnapped. Uh, and uh, we didn't know, you know, the thing wasn't real because got, we got to realize how many. It was crazy, right? He got his phone call. Remember that, Manny? You get your, how could you forget? Right? You got a phone call. He got a phone call saying, we kidnapped your mom, and they put this lady on the line. And in the fear of it and in all of it, it sounded exactly like your mom, huh? Like, my, he was sure that it was his mom. And these people were saying that they were going to kill her. That was nuts, man. And um, we've seen this story happen. Uh, yeah, please come on up. We're going to ask the band. Uh, one, one of your band come on up here real quick. Um, the whole band. Thank you, guys. Um, and so this... This man was cussing crazy stuff, huh? He was saying, like, some deranged stuff that they were going to do to your mom and, like. And so Manny calls me. Um, if you don't know, I'm a pastor. I'm a mechanic. I'm a dealer. I'm a, <laughs> not a drug dealer. I'm, like, a dealer. I deal with, like, you know, terrorists and stuff. Uh, you know, and so, um, and so, you know, and so Manny, he hits me up and we start talking and we start praying about, we prayed and, uh, you know, the Lord was so amazing, by the way. Through the whole thing, we saw the hand of God just, like, uncover all the lies and all the stuff. It was really, really cool. You could talk to him about it later. But I'm going to tell you something honestly. Immediately, I thought, how can we help him? What are we willing to do? And I thought of our team, our team of 12. Because if you don't know, uh, in this church, there's a group of men who are the leaders, right? And then there's a group of women who are also, like, the head. And then after that, they're developing leadership. And then the second level of leaders, the 144. And the 144 are better than the 12. And then the next generation will be like the 2.0, the 3.0. They just got to get better and better and better. Amen, 144s? Yeah. Uh, never mind. All right, go, go. You guys get it. You can, you're going to get better. We're, we're updating you. It's okay. All right. Um, and so immediately I thought of the 12. I said, okay, what is this team going to do? I didn't think, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do for Manny? I thought, what is this community going to do for him? I thought, what are we going to do? If it comes down to it, we're all going to have to pull together. 
Now, here's this. Listen to this, okay? This is where, what my mind went through. This is what I was, what was already thinking about. Because when you come to me with a problem, I'm not going to just pray for you. I try to find a solution. Now, I'm not going to do this for all your kidnapped moms, of course. But for this guy, I thought, you know what? There's a family. We're all together. What is everyone willing to do? So I was already thinking of strategies. Because the goal, how much were they asking for? Everything you had. Did they give you a certain amount? I think they did at a certain point. Man is like, $200 right now. <laughs> um, normally they ask for, uh, I think it's $80,000 because we dealt with other, other circumstances like this. Some were actually real, some were like real, and we had to, it's nuts, man. If you want to know more about it, we can talk more about that later. But in this instance, I was thinking, okay, God, I know we can do this. We can pull enough resources together. No matter what, we're going to get his mom out of that place. We're not going to let this woman just die. We're not going to let this happen. And this is wild. This is what was going on in this team, in this church. I thought, no matter what, our resources here, we can regain them. We can get all this back. All of it we can get back. But the rest, life, so important. Why am I telling you this story? Because in your life, there's a ransom. You have been kidnapped. Your heart has been taken. You may not think so, but there's reasons why you don't have full joy, full freedom. For some of you, there's reason why there's still that bondage where you can't stop watching pornography or you cannot stop lying or you can't get, man, you can't get enough money to be satisfied. You work, 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 and you're a slave of work. And if you don't have that work, you don't have that paycheck, you don't have that, you have no identity, you have nothing waiting for you for the weekend. I know because I've been there, done that, but the t-shirt and got the tape. And the same thing plays over and over in that stupid tape. Over and over and over is what is your life about? What is it worth? What is your life about? What is it worth? What is your life about? And what is it worth? And I could tell you this one thing. As we came together, I said, okay, how are we going to do this? What would you be willing to pay for life? What are you willing to give for life? What are your people around you, your family? What would they be willing to do for you to be set free? What would your friends be willing to do to set you free? What would your coworkers do? What would your own family do to set you free? The answer is this. The closer you get to the heart of someone, the more you're willing to do for them. The further away you're from them, I love you, bro, but I don't give a rip. My resources are important. But the closer you get to somebody, the more you're willing to do for them. Listen to what I'm telling you. What I would do for my wife and for my children is uncomparable to anything else. I will do anything to save the life of my kids. Ask of a body part, I'll give it. Ask for my freedom, I'll do it. Whatever it is, I'll give it because I absolutely love my family. Do you know Jesus was willing to do absolutely everything for you? He could have given the world and said, here's my share, there's my 10%. But God said, I'm going to give everything I have because I love you that much. Because no one else would die for you. The Bible says that true love is this, that a friend would die for a friend. Who would die for an enemy? Because you were an enemy of God. When you sin, the moment you sin, you become an enemy of the cross. You're a deceiver, a deserter, someone who gives her back on God and says, I don't want you. You're not enough. It's not good enough for me. You need to explain everything before I say yes to your sacrifice. And yet God says, before you became good, before you became religious, before you went to church, before you go to cell group, before you become a leader, before you get trained, before you do the Great Commission, before all that stuff, before you're redeemed, restored, it doesn't matter. I paid for you, whether you accept it or not. I love you so much 
I'm close enough to you. I love you so much. I'm willing to do all. Give everything. It's the equivalent of me telling Manny, Manny, we didn't come up with enough money. But I'm going to give one of my kids to get your mom out of, out of where she's at. Call them. Let them know. Ask them if they'll trade. I have greater resources. I'll pay them. I'll work my whole life. I'll pay them. But keep my son. You can't pay. You don't have enough resources. Tell them they'll take one of my kids, ransom. And I'll make the payment. Trust me. My kid is the guarantee that their debt will be paid. Take my son. Do you get that? That God would actually do that? He'd say, take my son as ransom. I love you so much. I'll take the debt that you have upon my kid. And you know what the enemy did? He killed the son of God. He took him to the cross and he says, yeah, I'll make him pay. Because at the end of the day, it's about satisfaction. And God loves his son so much. And this is the coolest thing about my Lord and my Savior. It wasn't just his death. It wasn't that Jesus just died for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much the Father loves you. This is the price of redemption. Love. Sacrifice. The price of redemption is the blood of Jesus, his only son. And I love this story, not only because it's true, but because it's my story. This is when I saw God, I said, God, there's no one that could pay for my sin except you. Is there any other way? There's no other way. And so the Son of God dies at the cross, and the enemy goes crazy. I could see the demons destroying the greatest, most nasty rave in hell all throughout the world. The world, the Bible says the world became dark. There's this astounding sound all throughout the world. The Bible speaks and says that Jesus felt as though bulls of Basam were all encompassing him, coming against him. The demonic forces that were at work, they thought, yeah, we got him. It's over. It's over. The price of sin. What? The death of the Son of God. And in the greatest power ever manifested in the history of this universe, three days later, Jesus from the inside, boom, he knocks down the door of hell. No one had to do it. No one had to get him out. Matter of fact, the father had to turn his son away. Abba, Abba, Abba Sabachthani, Jesus exclaimed at the cross, why did you forsake me? The question is, for who did you forsake me? And that would be us. And so when Jesus in hell, he breaks out of hell and he says, no, the debt has been, the debt has been paid. The debt has been paid. Not only have I paid for your debt, now I'm giving you abundant life. It didn't go back to zero. Now is full restoration. Redemption doesn't just mean I'm going to give you back to zero. Or even, Stephen, it means, oh, no, I'm paying. Not only that, now I'm giving you the greatest life of all. You're not just free, now you're free indeed. You're now free in the Son of God. See, freedom is not freedom just because you get to do what you want. No one is free in this world. I'm sorry to tell you, Americans, we're not free. You're not free until you're free to do the right thing. Because when you think you're free and you do some things because you're free, and you end up being even more slave to your freedoms. Tell a married man who thinks he's free to do whatever he wants. True freedom in marriage is found in faithfulness. In complete commitment. In the love and devotion that it comes with true friendship. Does that make sense? When a man says, oh, I'm free to do whatever I want. He'll be enslaved to that sin of his freedom. Because now, I'm telling you this. He have to go one lie to the next lie to the next lie to the next lie to the other lie. And then try to cover it all up and make it seem like he's perfect. 
and then goes back to the reality that he cannot get away from himself. So why do I tell you this story? Because redemption today for you, it doesn't just mean God loves you. He paid for you for your sin. Now he gave you a new life. And that new life is in Jesus Christ. Not to zero, to eternity. To glory and glory to glory. And victory to victory. From one to the next. I'd like to pray for you. I'd love to just close today and simply pray that God would give you the wisdom to not be so goofy as to say, uh, Pastor, I don't know if it's for me. If you do choose to do that, I'm not mad at you. It's not personal. Although I could say, how could you not? How could you turn your back on the greatest love of my life? But at the end of the day, it's not about me. It's about you and it's about him. That today you would say, Lord, I want your redemption. If you're here for the first time, or you perhaps never heard a preacher tell you these kinds of things, at least not in the U.S., you've heard about, oh, you're going to be blessed and you're going to get rich. If you follow Jesus, your troubles will be over. I'll say absolutely not. There'll be a world of struggle. Things will get tougher. The weight doesn't get lighter. You will get stronger though. Things don't get easier. Man. But the Bible says that in your weakness, His power is made perfect. So I'd like to pray with those of you that choose to accept the pardon. Those of you that says, Lord, I don't want to push you out of the way. I want your salvation. I want your redemption. That says, God, I want you. I want you, Lord. I want all of you. You guys sang a song in the beginning of the service. And it's a song of redemption, if you didn't know. With your eyes closed, I'd like to pray for you as the song begins to play. It's called Reckless Love. And it says, before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I do not deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. When I was your foe, meaning when I was your enemy, still your love fought for me. You have been so, so good to me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You have been so, so kind to me. All the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I do not deserve it. Still you give yourself away. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Dear God, I thank you because tonight your redemption is evident in our lives. May no one in this room leave this place without understanding that you, Father, gave your Son as a ransom to set us free. Knowing that the debt would need, it to, be, would need to be paid by you at the expense of your son that we would be free and not free to live lives that are not worthy of the price you've paid God may we never stump on the blood may we never stump on the greatest sacrifice of all for anyone here struggling with sin struggling with their worth trying to find worth in the world or in someone else identity in culture or identity in ethnicity 
instead of identity in the one who made us that is you Lord I pray that if there's someone in this place that is still wondering if they should accept the sacrifice of Christ or not that you remove the block from the enemy that you remove that mental block that argument the pride the ego the religious mindset and that you simply bring them back to you you love them to death if their question is is this true or not may they never have the audacity to find out if it isn't God may they never be so foolish as to say what if it isn't true and live that way and find themselves in an eternal place where they could have avoided should they should have just trusted in you Lord the mighty incredible precious beautiful recklessly loving God may tonight everyone in this place accept your sacrifice just as it is unfair and beautiful expensive such costly grace your son was worth everything and yet you paid him for us it is so expensive that's why it's called grace but it is so free that it's offered to us at no cost except one and that is the simple open arms to say Lord here I am I want your grace not the cheap kind that says now I'm free to go back into sin no 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 the expensive grace that says because I know what it's worth I will value it I will treasure it I'll live it out the best of my ability dear God help me to live closer to you ever as ever before better than ever God I value your grace I value it so much Jesus thank you for dying for us if you're here today and you want to give Jesus your life better yet if you're here today and you want to give God your heart, your dreams, your hopes, your desires. If you say, God, I accept your sacrifice. I accept your love. I accept the, pay, the, the payment for my freedom. Would you just tell him, Jesus Christ, I thank you for dying on the cross. I thank you, Jesus, because I now understand that redemption was so expensive. And yet you paid for it with your life. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. I ask you to forgive my sins. I ask you to, to take my guilt away, my shame, my doubts. Dear God, take me, please. I accept you as my God, as my Savior. Would you give me all that you have? Thank you because you alone could have paid the price. Just you. You paid the price for me. Thank you for dying and resurrecting to give me an eternal life with you. I thank you, God, for the acceptance. I thank you, God, because no one else would accept me in my true condition. But you didn't just accept me. You embraced me. You hugged me. You take me now as your child. I thank you for adopting me. I thank you for adopting me. I love you so much, God. I want to live with you, and I want to live for you. As you are there, I'd like for you to sing this song one last time. If you would join me in singing a song and... Maybe in your seat or if you want to stand. Why don't we all stand actually and just, we're going to turn the lights off. I'm going to invite you to do something a little bit different tonight. Whenever I worship, I usually turn it all off. I put my headphones on. Just because I don't want to see things. I don't want to get distracted by anyone or anything. So I'm going to ask the lights back there to be turned off. And there's some people here that don't like that. I understand because, you know, people may trip and security and safety but just for three minutes forget about everyone around you even these front lights are going to be off i'm just going to begin to sing to god and you're going to understand the lyrics and you're going to sing with understanding and with great gratefulness